the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for Talk Law Radio with Todd Marquardt. Todd Marquardt, attorney at law in Texas. If you're a millionaire or a thousandaire, Talk Law Radio is now on the air. Call in with your business law question, your elder law question. Veteran aid, Medicaid, build a business to get paid. 210-308-8867. Or ask a question online at marquardtlawfirm.com. That's M-A-R-Q-U-A-R-D-T, lawfirm.com. And now, it's Talk Law Radio with Todd Marquardt. Welcome to the Sunday edition of Talk Law Radio. Today, we will dive deep into the details of a court case called State of Minnesota versus Two-Toe. If you are interested in learning more about a prosecutor's perspective on the issue of holding police officers accountable for unjustified use of force, check out my interview with Daryl Harris. Daryl Harris is an assistant district attorney in San Antonio who is in charge of the civil rights prosecution cases. You can find it by searching your podcast source for Talk Law Radio. Look for my smiling face with the Lady Justice logo in red, white, and blue colors. Or you can find it on Facebook, YouTube, or TalkLawRadio.com. Today I'll be telling you about Officer... Tuto's argument that he was a human traffic cone and the prosecution's argument that Officer Tuto violated his duty to render aid and by his actions actually aided and abetted Officer Chauvin's deadly prone position hold on George Floyd. The mission of Talk Law Radio is to help you discover your legal issue blind spots by listening to me talk about the law on the radio. Just want to give you an update. Our website has been updated, so check out TalkLawRadio.com. It's easier to contact me now. When you reach the website, scroll down past the list of recent show recordings to find three boxes. Want to be a guest? Want to be a sponsor? Want to ask a question? Click the Send Question button and tell us your name, give us your phone number or email address, and type your question. I will receive your question almost instantly. I'll try and answer it when I see it, but remember, the only guarantees in life are death and taxes. So today we're going to be talking about uh, civil rights case. Uh, you probably remember it from uh, 2020. The, it involved the death of George Floyd. And so the officers involved in that case were uh, prosecuted for a crime. You might remember May 25th, 2020, when dispatch had sent the officers to the scene on the report of the attempted use of a counterfeit $20 bill to purchase goods at Cup Foods in uh, 
so Floyd, George Floyd resisted the officer's prior request to take a seat in their squad car and had physically struggled with them, resisting their physical efforts to force him into the squad car. Three Minnesota police officers, Derek Chauvin, J. Alexander King, and Thomas Lane, forcibly restrained Floyd prone on prone position on the concrete of Chicago Avenue for almost nine and a half minutes. Chauvin pressed his left knee into the back of Floyd's neck and his right knee into Floyd's side, mid-torso. Kung knelt on Floyd's lower back and held his arms, which had been handcuffed behind his back, and Officer Lane restrained Floyd's legs. The defendant in the case I'm going to be talking about with you today, Officer Tuto, stood nearby holding back a crowd of concerned bystanders asking the officers to render medical aid. After uh, five or six minutes, Floyd was no longer offering any active resistance, was struggling to breathe, and quickly began complaining in response to the three officers' physical restraints and the weight they were collectively pressing down upon him, that he could not breathe and was in pain. And as we know, George Floyd died in front of the Cup Food store at 38th and Chicago in South Minneapolis while being restrained by those police officers. You should know that the Washington Post has been keeping statistics on people that have been shot and killed by the police in the past 12 months. Uh, at this point, the, the number is 1,013. Do you think Officer Tuto was justified in standing by, allowing his officers to subdue George Floyd while he was holding back the crowd? You can text me at 210-538-4770 or ask a question on www.talklawradio.com. Remember, you can ask a question by clicking a link there as well. The issue in this case is whether uh, Tao, Officer Tuto, is guilty of aiding and abetting a second-degree manslaughter. So the the charges against him um, in Minnesota on June 3, 2020, were, number one, aiding and abetting second-degree unintentional felony murder, and number two, aiding and abetting second-degree culpable negligence manslaughter. Officer Chauvin was charged with second- and third-degree unintentional murder and second-degree culpable negligence manslaughter. Lane, Officer Lane and Officer King, like Tuto, were each charged with aiding and abetting second-degree unintentional felony murder and second-degree culpable negligence manslaughter. Officer Tuto's defense was he argued that he was just merely a human traffic cone and that he was just holding back the bystanders. And the court held that his actions were unreasonable 
He had a duty to stop the other officers from using excessive force by restraint. And because of his knowledge of first aid, he also violated his duty to render aid. Essentially, he had a duty to intervene. What do you think? The court held that the cause of death was cardiopulmonary arrest, which is a heart attack complicated by the law enforcement, subdual restraint, and neck compression. The court found that the officers restrained Floyd prone on the concrete surface of Chicago Avenue with Chauvin and King applying external pressure to Floyd's neck and upper back, chest, the left side of his torso, and his lower back, while also holding his handcuffed arms, while Officer Lane pressed down on Floyd's legs. The collective pressure from the restraint restricted Floyd's ability to breathe, causing asphyxia whereby Floyd's body was deprived of oxygen, which damaged his brain and caused his heart to stop. By restraining Floyd in the prone position on the pavement, the officers decreased Floyd's oxygen reserves and increased the effort required for Floyd to breathe. Floyd lost oxygen gradually over several minutes due to the restraint, with the low oxygen levels damaging Floyd's brain and causing his heart to stop. With regard to the use of force, the Minnesota Police Department has detailed policies regarding the use of force and provides officers with extensive use of force training, including on the duty to intervene to stop an improper use of force. The use of force policy reflects uh, a constitutional standard from a court case called Graham v. Connor. The employee shall only use the amount of force that is objectively reasonable in light of the facts and circumstances known at the time force is used. Objectively reasonable force means the amount and type of force that would be considered rational and logical to an objective officer on the scene as supported by facts and circumstances known to an officer at the time the force was used. In determining what constitutes reasonable force, the officer should consider the severity of the crime at issue, whether the suspect poses an immediate threat to the safety of the officers or others, and whether he is actively resisting arrest or attempting to evade arrest by flight, running away. The officers must use the lowest level of force necessary and must continually reassess their use of force and must stop the, the use of force once the subject is compliant and not resisting. A restraint is a type of the use of force. In regards to rendering aid, Minnesota Police Department officers have a duty to intervene to stop or attempt to stop another officer from using force inappropriately and must report any unlawful uses of force to their superiors. Even before it was translated duty to intervene into a new policy, the duty to intervene was an expectation of the officers. The police department provides officers with extensive medical training, and the officers receive basic first responder training and know to immediately start CPR if someone lacks a pulse 
because every second counts when a person is not breathing and has no pulse. The officers are trained to provide CPR to a suspect who has uh, lost their pulse. With regards to aiding and abetting, the court held that Officer Tuto intentionally aided Chauvin and the other officer's deadly restraint. Officer Tuto intentionally aided the deadly restraint in at least two ways. First, Officer Tuto actively discouraged his fellow officers from using the hobble, which the officers could have used to restrain Floyd in the prone position. I looked up on the internet what a hobble was, and it's a a strap or type of tie that ties the the handcuffs or the wrists um, behind the back to the ankles also behind the back. So it looks like kind of like what they do, what cowboys do at the rodeo when they uh, hobble uh, a calf's ankles together. But in in this circumstance, uh, the suspect's hands are behind his back and his ankles are also behind his back. It it, uh, helps to prevent the suspect from kicking. And uh, I think, just from observing what this uh, diagram uh, appeared to show, that the officers would not have to have been um, putting pressure on on the neck or on the torso or on the legs because the the hobble um, ties those things together. And what the the testimony from everybody showed that um, Officer Tuto is the one that brought up the hobble. He he said something like, "I have one in my car. Should I get it out?" And the other officers did not respond, and so Officer Tuto said uh, something like, well, uh, let's just continue uh, restraining him the way he is, because if we use the hobble, then we'll have to explain our use of force to the sergeant. And so that was very damaging testimony uh, in this case against Officer Tuto. Instead... Uh, so the the opinion continues with the court finding that Officer Tuto encouraged all three officers to continue restraining Floyd face down on the ground until emergency medical services arrived because using the hobble might result in a superior officer reviewing their use of force. Officer Tuto also encouraged Chauvin, King, and Lane throughout the restraint to maintain their positions and to ignore Floyd's increasingly desperate pleas for help during the first half of the restraint. The second half of the restraint is when Floyd was silent, no longer talking. So uh, Officer Tuto's defense for discouraging the use of the hobble is not credible. They found his uh, testimony uh, regarding uh, his explanation about that was not credible. In his testimony in the federal trial, because there was also a federal trial for civil rights violations, uh, which resulted in George Floyd's death, Officer Tuto claimed that if the officers had used the hobble, the paramedics would have had to wait to provide medical attention until 
after the sergeant had documented the use of the hobble for the use of forced review. Um, but the court found this testimony internally inconsistent and not credible. Okay, so then uh, the court also found that Officer Tuto encouraged Chauvin, King, and Lane to maintain their positions and to ignore Floyd's pleas for help through other statements. For instance, when Officer Tuto dismissed Floyd's complaints by telling him to relax, suggesting Floyd was to blame for the restraint because Floyd was on drugs, and rebuffed calls for aid by saying, that because Floyd could speak, Floyd could sufficiently breathe. The second reason uh, the court found that he was uh, responsible for aiding and abetting is that Officer Tuto intentionally prevented the bystanders from providing medical aid to Floyd. Officer Tuto expressly refused to allow Hansen, who was a trained Minneapolis firefighter to tend to Floyd and shouted at her to back off. These actions intentionally assisted Chauvin, King, and Lane in continuing the restraint. Officer Tuto's failure to intervene to prevent Chauvin and the other officers' unreasonable force and his own failure to render medical aid to Floyd further supported the findings that Officer Tuto's intent to assist the officers' unreasonable and dangerous restraint. The court found that Officer Tuto's actions were objectively unreasonable under the circumstances. For many of the same reasons already discussed, Officer Tuto's actions discouraging use of the hobble, encouraging the dangerous prone restraint, and interposing himself between the bystanders rather than intervening to prevent Chauvin's, King's, and Lane's unreasonable force or rendering aid to Floyd were objectively unreasonable under the totality of the circumstances. We're going to talk about the elements of the crime. For second-degree murder, the the law says a person is guilty in Minnesota of second-degree murder, manslaughter, by the person's culpable negligence, whereby the person creates an unreasonable risk and consciously takes chances of causing death or great bodily harm to another, and he causes the death of another. So it has nothing to do with whether Officer Tuto intended for George Floyd to die. In uh, second-degree manslaughter, uh, the state must only prove that that uh, Officer Tuto's actions uh, posed an unreasonable risk and conscious uh, disregard for uh, the risk, and uh, so that's second-degree manslaughter. Second-degree manslaughter requires proof of objectively gross negligence on the part of the actor, and negligence is uh, unreasonable behavior or action, and and number two, subjective recklessness in the form of actual conscious disregard of the risk created by the conduct. The objective gross negligence component is satisfied by demonstrating that the act was a gross deviation from the standard of care 
that a reasonable person would observe in the actor's situation. The subjective recklessness component requires proof of the actor's state of mind that is usually established through circumstantial evidence by inference from words or acts of the actor before and after the incident. On the, on the charge of aiding and abetting, the Minnesota statute provided a person is criminally liable for a crime committed by another person if the person intentionally aids, advises, hires, counsels, or conspires with or otherwise procures the other to commit the crime. Aiding and abetting is not a separate substantive offense under Minnesota law. Rather, it is a theory of criminal liability that makes accomplices criminally liable just as if they were a principal. Stated otherwise, an accomplice who intentionally aids another's crime is criminally liable as if the accomplice committed the crime himself. The phrase intentionally aids encompasses two important and necessary elements which ensure the accomplice has the same criminal culpability as the principal. First, the defendant must know that his alleged accomplices were going to commit or were committing a crime. Critically, a defendant charged criminally with aiding and abetting need not have knowledge of an accomplice's criminal intent before the crime occurs. The statute only requires knowledge of the crime at the time or the acts or presence amounting to aid. A defendant who acquires the requisite knowledge while the accomplice is in the process of committing the offense and makes the choice to aid in its commission, either through his presence or his actions, is guilty as an accomplice under the plain language of the statute. Second, the defendant must intend his presence or actions to further the commission of that crime. In other words, the defendant must make the choice to aid in its commission either through his presence or his actions. Although it is rare for the state to establish a defendant's state of mind through direct evidence, the jury may properly infer the requisite state of mind for the accomplice liability through circumstantial evidence, including, for example, the defendant's presence at the scene of the crime or a close association with the principal offender before and after the crime. Chauvin's actions were objectively unreasonable from the perspective of a reasonable police officer under the totality of the circumstances. Chauvin's actions were disproportionate to any perceived threat. Chauvin's use of untrained neck restraint was both excessive force and objectively unreasonable. Chauvin used excessive force by keeping Floyd in the prone position for an extended period of time, which was objectively unreasonable given that Floyd was not resisting from the time the officers took him to the street and were restraining him prone on the Chicago Avenue concrete. Chauvin's failure to uh, de-escalate his use of force proportionate to Floyd's threat level was objectively unreasonable because uh, Floyd had stopped resisting at some point, and he could have simply gotten up. Chauvin's continued use of force against Floyd 
who was handcuffed and became unconscious during the restraint, was objectively unreasonable. Chauvin's use of force was all the more unreasonable in the light of the fact that Chauvin was assisted by three other officers. King and Lane were assisting and physically restraining Floyd while Officer Tuto stood close nearby. A park police officer was also across the street who could have been summoned the few yards to the location in which Floyd was being restrained in seconds if necessary. The court found that Officer Tuto knew that Chauvin's conduct grossly deviated from the standard of care and was objectively unreasonable. The video evidence clearly showed that Officer Tuto could directly see the restraint. So I hope that this helps you to understand that you might be held liable for failing to intervene if you see something, you might have to do something. Now, of course, in this circumstance, these are police officers that have a higher duty uh, to make sure that their suspect stays alive, and uh, uh, regular people like you and me might not be required to stop an officer um, from doing something, um, but it, it's certainly something to think about. Um, when I was texting with some of my listeners, uh, a great many of them said that a police officer's job is difficult, that uh, when there's a situation with uh, heightened focus and awareness, that it, it might be difficult to um, be objective and some of them were more uh, sensitive to uh, the, the warrior cop mentality that uh, their ego and um, the high position of authority often cause them to be unreasonable. So that's all I have for today, um, but tune in to talklawradio.com, watch us on Facebook or YouTube. And I'll talk to you later. Thanks. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.